So God by definition, God by definition is the creator and sustainer of all things. That's easy for us to grasp. If there's a God, he's very powerful and would probably be extremely busy. What's hard for some of us to understand is that this same almighty God who is responsible for the order of our entire universe has created us in his image and is with us in our sunny days as well as our storms. God loves his people and is with us even when we can't sense him at all. Not only is he with his people even through suffering, But as we will see in the last chapter of the book of Ruth, God is actually working all the details of our lives. Working out all the details of our lives for our good and for His glory. God is transcendent, and yet God is imminent. And you matter to Him. Turn to Ruth chapter 4 book of Ruth, chapter 4, in the beginning of your Bible, after the book of Judges. I'm going to do a quick recap of the first three chapters. I'll be explaining more as we go, but quickly it begins, the book of Ruth begins with a Jewish family leaving Bethlehem for a foreign land due to a famine. And soon things go south for this family as the husband Elimelech dies leaving his wife Naomi with two sons. These two sons go and they marry Moabite women. And they're barren for ten years and then they die, leaving Naomi with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And then she heads shamefully back to Israel, to Bethlehem, with only one, Ruth. Once in Bethlehem, Ruth seeks food for her and Naomi and meets this dude, Boaz. Boaz is actually a relative of of the family and could continue the line of Elimelech if he wanted through marriage. After seeing Boaz's kindness to Ruth, Naomi urges Ruth to basically propose to Boaz. And chapter 3 ends with Ruth showing up to the threshing floor and asking Boaz to redeem her. She says in chapter 3, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. He responds graciously, and in verse 11 of chapter 3, he says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. I wonder if Boaz, this wise old bachelor, got any sleep that night. This story takes place in the time of Judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But here in Bethlehem is a man who gives us an example of what biblical manhood looks like. Chapter 4 of Ruth is just that, a man after God's own heart, following God's word. So let's start in verse 1. It's the following morning, verse 1, chapter 4. 
Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Important to note here the word behold. Right? It's a good translation because the Hebrew word is trying to get our attention. Behold, or another translation, and just then is most certainly trying to convey to us a surprise. It's not just that this nearer Redeemer came by this gate that he always passes by in this small town of Bethlehem, but rather the idea that God is sovereignly in control of this entire situation. Behold, he's here. Nice to be reminded of God's providence even in this first verse. And Boaz probably spent all night coming up with his game plan. But if the Lord doesn't show up, all is in vain. Let's keep reading. Behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Boaz's plan is working so far. Right? He found his relative and sat him down. Right? This closer redeemer, this one who has first dibs on the land and the ladies, is here. But he doesn't stop with him. Right? He goes and gets ten men of the elders of Bethlehem to be witnesses as he forms this legal assembly. Before we jump into the dialogue, we can't, we can't pass by what Boaz calls this redeemer. The ESV, which I'm preaching out of, translates it friend. But in doing so, misses what the narrator is actually trying to say. The Hebrew translation comes out to say, so-and-so. A better translation of this verse would be, turn aside, so-and-so. Why is this important? Because we always want to understand the author's intent. Why did he choose this word? Boaz knows this guy's name. He probably would have used his name in this story. Bethlehem's a very small city. And this is a redeemer, a relative of Boaz. But the author of this book chose to use so-and-so to convey something more. And we'll come back to what in just a minute. Look at verse 3. Then Boaz said to the Redeemer, then he, Boaz, said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he Mr. So-and-so said, I will redeem it. Boaz is a brilliant deal-maker. I didn't like a successful used car salesman. He's concealing some knowledge up until this point. Right now, the deal for so-and-so is Naomi only. He buys Naomi's land, cares for the old widow for a few years, and soon, when she dies, the land is his outright, free and clear. It's no wonder so-and-so jumps on it. I will redeem it, he says. This opportunity for land in Bethlehem is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This land will add to his net worth, his inheritance, 
and to the fame of his name. It's a no-brainer. But remember what Boaz told Ruth the night before, what we just read in chapter 3. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, Ruth, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Boaz has an ace up his sleeve. Ruth, the Moabite. Verse 5, let's keep reading. Then Boaz says, but then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for my I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The first deal was sweet for so-and-so. It would have increased the size of his estate and his wealth with minimal risk and little loss. The second deal, Naomi plus Ruth, he buys the land, has to care for Naomi for a few years, but he also has to marry the young widow Ruth. Support her financially all the days of her life. Support her children who get her dead husband's last name, not his. And when those kids are all grown up, so-and-so gives them the land. In this second deal, he will be throwing away money. Financially speaking, this is not a good deal for so-and-so. And so like they say... On Shark Tank, so-and-so says, I'm out. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Interesting way to seal the deal in the ancient Near East, right? But there you have it. Boaz redeems Naomi and Ruth. The author is brilliant in giving this nameless redeemer the name so-and-so. Right? You can read more about the role of the kinsman redeemer in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. But in Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10, right, it explains that neither, neither men are legally bound to marry Ruth. Obviously, so-and-so appeals to the letter of the law, not the spirit. One scholar says, His words clearly express concern only for his own interest. They show no concern for Ruth and the line of Elimelech at all, thus unwilling to shoulder his full responsibilities as the redeemer with the prior right, he summons Boaz to acquire his rights. Since he refused to restore the name of the dead to his inheritance, he himself has no name. The man who did not want to impair his inheritance leaves his legacy as so-and-so. Pretty ironic. But before we just bash this guy, I think we should see ourselves in him. Right? He was motivated by the wisdom of wealth and financially smart decisions, not the heart of God. How easy can this be our story in Douglas County? Right, the wisdom of wealth and financially smart decisions, not the wisdom of the cross. 
He may also have had racism in his heart. Though Boaz's fellow townsmen knew that Ruth was a worthy woman, like he says in chapter 3, Ruth is still a Moabite. When Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. I wonder if he paused after he said Moabite. Moab and Israel are bitterest of enemies. Right, this young widow Ruth, who so-and-so is supposed to lay his life down for in kindness, is from the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe he, he even had Deuteronomy 20, 23, 3 on his mind, where it says, No Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. So-and-so might not care that she's truly been converted. She's a follower of Yahweh. That doesn't matter. She's a Moabite. Oh, it's so easy to love people that look like us, that like what we like, that are in the same tax bracket and socioeconomic class as us. Same skin color, similar education, votes the way we vote like the same food we like, right? We can go on and on. Let us, the church, not show partiality, but rather be known for our love and kindness, even to those who are not like us at all. Verse 9. Verse 9, after the deal is accomplished, right, Boaz recaps the moment with all his witnesses. Verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Transaction complete. Boaz has become the kinsman redeemer. He takes the family debt. He loses his own name. He purchases the Moabite Ruth to be his bride. The point of having kinsmen redeemers is so that the outcasts of society, when all hope seems to be lost, can be given back life. Boaz acts for the sake of Ruth and Naomi in his obedience to the Mosaic law, and this pleases the Lord. In verse 11, the people and the elders give a blessing to Boaz's new bride. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, make the, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephraphra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. If, any, if anyone knows about Gentiles being blessed by God, it's Boaz. And Boaz's mom was Rahab. You guys remember Rahab, right? The, the, the prostitute, the Canaanite prostitute from Jericho who hid the spies in Joshua 2. That's this dude's mom. 
He knows what can happen to a person when the grace of God comes in. He's not shaken that Ruth is a Moabite with a past. This man has a calling from God to be Ruth's and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. And though this seems like a risk to some, Boaz shows us that taking risks and following God go hand in hand. Well, let's turn to the epilogue, verse 13. One author calls this five-verse epilogue the climax to the book of Ruth. Let's read it, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the, woman sa- then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This section is bringing all the pieces of this book together. Right? To finish off this beautiful story. One in which we can see ourselves in. And one in which we can trust God's kindness, providence, and loving kindness. So let's first look at Ruth, and then we'll zoom in on Naomi. So Ruth, turn to chapter 1. So we're still in the book of Ruth. Turn to chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 16. But if you know the book of Ruth, or remember what I said earlier, Ruth's husband and brother-in-law, they die. Right? She's left in Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi tries to talk Ruth. And Orpah into staying in Moab while she goes back to Israel. She assures them that she cannot promise them anything. And if they stay in Moab with their people and families, they can probably find not only another husband, but a better life, a brighter future. Although although Orpah does leave, Ruth doesn't. Verse 16, chapter 1. But Ruth says... Do not urge me to leave or to, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Was Ruth just the greatest friend in the world? Where she would forego a prosperous future to love on some old lady only to die broke, homeless, and without hope. Ruth is an immigrant, and every immigrant only leaves home because as hard as immigration can be, there's hope to a brighter future. My my great-grandmother, Molly, Right, who my aunt and my dad tell me was an amazing lady. Right, she, she was an immigrant who immigrated to Brooklyn, New York from Poland in December of 1897. Right, as a Jew living in Poland, 
five miles from where the Auschwitz concentration camp would be in operation in just over 40 years. I praise God that she saw, even before the Holocaust, that life in Brooklyn was a better future. So she risked a lot getting to New York. I could only imagine what would have happened if my 17-year-old Jewish great-grandma stayed in Poland. Is that what's happening here with Ruth? Is that why Ruth leaves a better future, awaits her in Bethlehem? She says, your God will be my God. And then says, may Yahweh do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. It seems that Naomi has had an amazing influence on Ruth. These two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, they love Naomi. And Ruth, the Moabite, has left any association with the Moabite god, Kamash. Because through Naomi's life, witness, and friendship, the god of Israel has become her god. Her immigration was more about discipleship than anything. Yes, she was an amazing friend of Naomi, and we'll get to that in a second. But this Gentile follower, this new Gentile follower of Yahweh has to make a choice. Stay in Moab, where it would be extremely hard to follow Yahweh, or leave with Naomi, stick by her side all the days of her life, walk with God, and let not anything but death part her from Naomi. Ruth was an immigrant who left her land for anything but a brighter future. The bright future was home in Moab where she could be with family, find a husband. Naomi even tries to urge her to stay. This is the wise decision, Ruth. But isn't this discipleship 101? Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When we come to Jesus on our terms like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down for Christ. He, he gets me out of hell and gives me the desires of my heart. And I want this, 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 this. That's not Christian discipleship. That's using Jesus as a genie in a bottle. Coming to faith on Jesus' terms, namely Christianity, sounds a lot more like, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You are my God. Your church is now my church. Where you tell me to go, I will go. When I die, it is gain. And Lord, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. But Ruth and all who are in God's family eventually find out that when you come to him on his terms, he gives you far more than you could imagine. He gives you himself. And our story becomes part of his bigger story. But Ruth was also a friend, an amazing friend. Remember the ladies just said about her back in chapter 4, your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons? One commentator, Daniel Block, says, more than anyone else in the history of Israel, Ruth embodies the fundamental principle of the nation's ethic. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus 19.34, Moses instructs the Israelites to love the stranger as they love themselves. Ironically, it is this stranger from Moab who shows the Israelites what this means. What a friend Ruth was to Naomi. In a sense, Ruth is a hidden redeemer. In that no redeeming happens in this book apart from Ruth's loving kindness. And faithfulness towards her friend. And God uses this friendship as a means of grace for many. We need good friends. Often God uses friends to sustain us in seasons of suffering. And to have people in our lives who truly care about us. Enough to even say the hard things. What a blessing. Invest in friendship. Be a friend. Be a Ruth. Serve people and the church with this kind of one-way love. And what about Naomi? I think this book could be called the book of Naomi. This entire book starts off with Naomi's husband leading his family away from God. And the result... Is death, barrenness, and more death. After Naomi's husband and sons die, she hears that the famine is over in Israel, so she heads back to Bethlehem. Look at verse 19. We're still in chapter 1, verse 19. So the two of them, Ruth and Naomi, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The story begins with death, barrenness, more death, pain, bitterness, suffering. Right? It's a dark introduction. Elimelech with his family seemed to have abandoned God. Has God now abandoned Naomi? Anyone ever been in a season of suffering? Maybe you're in a dark valley right now. Like Naomi in chapter 1. Maybe you're thinking, where is God? Or how long, O Lord? Or why, God? My soul is in turmoil within me. It's okay to say those things. I stole them from the book of Psalms. Lament is an important prayer language for the Christian. Turn back this morning to Ruth 4, to our text. Turn back to Ruth 4. This book begins with death. Let's see how it ends. Verse 13 again. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Right In chapter 1, Ruth is barren for 10 years and then her husband dies. She chooses to serve Yahweh with no strings attached. And what does the Lord do? Gives her Boaz as a husband 
and then gives her a child right away. Notice the wording, the Lord gave her conception. The Lord is sovereign over every area of Ruth's life. She begins in barrenness and death and ends in resurrection and life. Verse 14, then the women said to Naomi, remember we just read what they said to her in chapter 1, and she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. But that wasn't the end of her story. Verse 14, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. In the beginning of this story, Naomi comes home empty. Now these ladies are telling her she's got more than seven sons. That's a metaphor for the perfect family. Naomi thought she left Israel full and came back empty. And now she discovers fullness on a whole nother level. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. These women don't say a son has been born to Ruth here. They say a son has been born to Naomi. And this son, Obed, becomes the grandfather to King David. Naomi is full at last. Though there were moments she blamed God, doubted God, probably even despised God. He was sovereignly working behind the scenes. And now Naomi is great-great-grandma to King David. By the grace of God, don't call her Mara anymore. Her name's Naomi. Tim Keller says, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything God knows. Learn this morning from Naomi's story to trust God even when life hurts. And sometimes life hurts really bad. We often find ourselves in seasons of suffering. Sometimes we have done nothing but obey God and we're still in these seasons. Other times, like with Naomi, our sin is part of the reason we got into the situation. There's moments in life, maybe you're in one right now, where we can say with the psalmist, darkness is my only companion. However you got there, your suffering is not in vain. God is sovereign. God is in control. Like Jonathan Edwards once said, a leaf doesn't fall to the ground except that it's ordained by God. He's in control of everything. And he loves you. Romans 8.28 may be the greatest promise in the Bible. And it says, and we know, that for those who love God, all things, all things, 
from a car accident to criticism, from a loss of a job to acne, things like cancer, sickness, barrenness, betrayal, kids leaving the faith, death, all things, all things. We may never actually see why, and we're not promised that God will physically bless us in the end like he does with Naomi. But we are promised that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let Naomi's story remind you that God is good, that he loves you. And that he's sovereign over all things, working out every detail of your life for your good and for his glory. And let's close by looking at the question, what redeemer are these ladies talking about? We've seen the obvious kinsman redeemer, Boaz. We see the hidden redeemer, Ruth. But what redeemer are these ladies speaking of? Verse 14 again. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. This is the real redeemer. The child of promise. Born in Bethlehem. His name in this story is Obed. But Obed, the redeemer Obed, only points us to another promised child, born in Bethlehem, coming through the line of Judah. This story finds its fulfillment in King David, as you see with the genealogy in verses 18 to 22. But as Christians... At a gospel-centered church like this, I think you know where I'm headed. Right? We know the climax of this genealogy points to another king. King Jesus, the greater David. Jesus, the pre-existent son of God who left his throne. Did not count equality with God something to be held on to, but humbled himself and went on a cosmic Immigration to become our kinsmen. Take on flesh. Jesus became like us in every respect, tempted as we are, yet without sin. And what does he do? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus becomes our Redeemer. God raises him from the grave. Jesus ascends to the right hand of God. And right now he sits on his throne. King Jesus is reigning now. Rest in him this morning. That's our application. Rest in him. And if you don't know this redeemer, Turn from your trust in self. Turn from sin. Repent and place your trust in Christ this morning. 
by grace alone, through faith alone, trust Jesus to be your only hope in life and death. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that this story of loving kindness and friendship and redemption points us to our Savior who rescued us from this present evil age, has placed us in his kingdom. Lord, help us to live. Help us to live for his glory, Christ. We love you. Help us to rest in him this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.